Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike touring. You'll get insight into various cultures and countries around the world. They'll share fantastic stories of their journey and through mine and my guest experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike touring and considering going on a tour, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. If you're already a bike tourer, I hope my guest stories allow you to relive some of your own experiences and give you a good laugh or two along the way. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Uh, It has definitely been a little while since the last interview was released and I do apologize for that. A whole bunch of factors play into it, you know. The, as a teacher, the new school year starts in September and it's a really, really busy time just squaring everything away and making sure the kids, you know, they got the routines and all these things. And it's just a busy, busy time. On top of that, about two and a half weeks ago, I caught the flu and that had me, you know, doing a, the bed shiver and whatnot. And then I lost my voice, which tied me off until basically now. And, it, and like even now, it's not perfect. I can feel after a whole day of teaching that, yeah, my throat's a little bit raw, but. You know what? I want to get this episode released. It was recorded, whoo, shit, nearly a month ago. So yeah, it's my bad. I wish I could have got it out faster and sooner. Um, not quite a month ago, but anyways. So it is what it is, you know? I've also been doing a ton of stuff around the house. Um, I had to prepare the chicken coop for winter. I'm trying to fence in the backyard for the dog, and my yard is not exactly a small backyard, and sourcing... Uh, chain link fence secondhand where I could so I'd avoid spending too much and on top of that we're having a baby so I hadn't really talked about this too much and the occasional time I think I did mention it I think I edited it out of the episode but yeah my wife is uh, due in three weeks so I was you know trying to get that baby room all prepared repainted assemble furniture and all that fun stuff so yeah this basically just amounts to me not having ridden my bike and Probably almost two months, except for getting out for a couple rips on the mountain bike, which is always nice, but not quite the same thing as getting out for a little tour or some bikepacking, exploring, that kind of thing. But hey, that is life. I have been up to a few things, though, and one of those things is I created a new website, and it's called Bike Pack Adventures. And I designed this to be a community project to share bikepacking routes within the region and, and ultimately further afield. So yeah, if you do have routes that you'd like to share, you can go to www.bikepackadventures.ca or .com. Either one will lead you to the site. Click on submit a route button in uh, the menu. And yeah, I think this is going to be something that's really great. And I hope it can kind of grow into something special, you know. Um, This is more of a community project. And hopefully you guys who are local, especially in the Ottawa, Ontario, Quebec region can jump in here, share me some of your favorite routes. And uh, we can get them up on the site. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. Luckily for that, I didn't need a voice. I could just kind of plug away at it slowly. And I did get a lot done over the last couple of weeks. Not everything is up live right now. Lots of them are saved as drafts and whatnot. And I'm still trying to finalize a few touches to to how I want the website to look. But it's a a work in progress. And, you know, that's always the case. It's it's hard to to know where you're going with it until you get going. And then you got to make a whole whack of changes. So yeah, anyways, that is life. In October... I announced a lucky draw for Patreon supporters of the podcast. And I did this on Instagram, but unfortunately, since 
that time, I haven't released an episode and had a chance to speak about it here on the podcast. So I decided to to extend the draw and to do the draw at the end of the year. That way, it's kind of like a, a late Christmas gift for one of our lucky Patreon supporters. So for this draw, I'm going to do it on a tally system. So meaning that anyone that supports the podcast through Patreon, GoFundMe, PayPal, whatever, will have one name in the draw for every dollar that they've committed. So I do have a few people who have sent a little bit of money on GoFundMe or, or PayPal. And for that, it'll be like every dollar is a name draw. So for new sponsors, that means from when I first announced it, October, November, December, I'm going to give triple the chances for every dollar. So if you dollar donate $1, you'll get three draws and that kind of thing. Just as a little further shout out and call to please support the podcast so I can make all these things happen. Uh, the prize up for grabs is a Blackburn Outpost Elite frame bag. It's a pretty sweet bag. I've been using it on my bike, on my gravel bike for about two years. The one I'm giving you is not used for two years, brand new. And it was donated by Outdoor Gear Canada. They are the parent company for Opus, one of the sponsors of the podcast. So they donated the bag and I thought I would do a draw. So this runs at around 180 bucks Canadian. That would be like $15 US. No, I'm just joking. It's like, I don't know, 150-ish. So yeah, sweet free stuff is good stuff or mostly free because you got to sponsor the podcast. Since it's pretty lightweight, I'll ship it anywhere in the world. So unlike a seat post bag or handlebar roll where you know you got harnesses and stuff like that and it can add a bit of weight this is pretty light so i will pack it up roll it up carefully or leave it in the original box and i will just ship it to you um so whoever is this podcast supporter that wins it will get it at their house and it'll be ready to rock and roll for the spring so yeah and if you're in australia well you'd be getting it late into the cycling year of course all this wouldn't be possible without the help of our amazing sponsors, so Outdoor Gear Canada slash Opus, Redshift Sports, and Seven Mesh Clothing. From the lucky draw I did on the Redshift Quick Release Aero Bars earlier this summer to the upcoming end of the year draw for the Blackburn Frame Bag, I'm really happy that these companies have looked at what we're doing here on the Bike Tour Adventures podcast and felt that, you know, we are a nice fit, a nice mesh, we go together well. Uh, that's not a pun intended for Seven Mesh Clothing, but yeah, we mesh well together. And I like the fact that they they see that this project is something worthwhile to to support and help out with. So thank you very much to the sponsors. And if you do go to Redshift Sports and use the promo code BTA15, you get 15% off on anything you buy. And I believe anything over, I forget what number it is, but I think it's somewhere around $80 US, you get free shipping. So this could be really good. Go for it. Buy something. That is all. I don't know what else to say. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. And I'm sorry my voice sounds like crap. And I hope there's no background noise. I have been relegated to the utility room, seeing as I got kicked out of the baby's room, because that's where I used to record podcasts. Then I got kicked out of the basement room because my mother-in-law arrived. Now I'm in the utility room. So hopefully this works out well. It sounds good. And keep on pedaling. In this episode of the Bike Tour Adventures podcast, I have a chance to speak with a group of adventurers that have recently completed a truly unique cycling adventure, while also working towards increasing public awareness of climate solutions, the importance of preserving the UK's natural environment, and finally encouraging others to explore the outdoors. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Isaac Kenyon, Alex Piero, and Lucas Heitzman, three of the five members of a team that this past summer cycled from the Orkney Islands in the north of the United Kingdom to the Isles of Scilly in the south, using bikes the entire way. Listen to find out how they accomplished this. 
Did I get that right? Is that the Isles of Skilly? Isles of Silly. You know, like Silly silly Billy. Oh, you're such a silly. Fair enough. Yes. (laughs) The Isles of Silly. All right, gentlemen, welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Hey, Chris. Thanks a lot for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Chris. All right. Looking forward to it. And uh, so let's start off. Why don't you guys tell us about yourselves? Um, I guess, Isaac, you can lead away and then we'll we'll go from there. Sure thing. Um, I'm Isaac. Um, I'm an energy transition analyst. Uh, So I work in the energy industry, supplying data for helping and promoting um, renewable energy streams away from fossil fuels and working out what the activity is. That's my day job. And on the side, I do quite a few bits and pieces. I'm a trustee for a mental health charity. And I also do a ton of adventures, various different things. Uh, I've rode in Atlantic Ocean. I've swum the English Channel and I've climbed some big mountains like Mount Kilimanjaro. And yeah, I just love, I just love doing new challenges and this is a new one, uh, cycling for me. I never cycled before doing this. So, um, that's my intro. I'm a bit of a crazy and I just do things out the blue. Amazing. Do you do anything on your spare time or? (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Um, (laughs) occasionally I sleep. No, I'm kidding. It's not that bad. (laughs) All right. How about you, Lucas? Uh, so I'm, I'm currently studying engineering at university um so full-time student uh i do do a lot of rowing and a bit of cycling here and there um i did i've, I've done a few adventures the, the biggest one being a, a solo uh ocean row across the atlantic ocean and a, a few other cycling adventures on top of pedal for parks and that's pretty much it actually all right and uh alex hey i'm alex i'm an it engineer working for a trading firm so kind of as far as possible from uh, green spaces as you can get really uh very very urban work it's uh kind of all indoors of course with it so for me the outdoors adventuring is uh, is my escape that's the weekends and that's uh after work uh first big adventure this pedalful parks project so very happy to be able to share everything i did and how it is from a kind of a newbie's perspective as well okay. to embark on a on a big trip like this uh so maybe a bit of a different perspective to the other two guys who are a lot more accomplished than me in that Fair in enough. that world for sure. And um, what uh, what parts of the UK are you guys from? I'm from sort of just north of London in Hertfordshire, St Albans. Maybe people know that your listeners maybe. So quite built up area, I presume, or in between. I'm in the Green Belt, like that little that sort of stretch of countryside that surrounds um, London. So okay. I, I get the best of both London and uh, the Escape. Oh, okay, nice. So I'm from uh, I'm Win- Windsor area, so where the, the Queen has her lovely castle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite quite a, a built up area as well. But then at the moment, I'm studying and living in Swansea, so actually in Wales, um, okay. so a different part of the UK. Uh, but that's absolutely stunning. The, the city itself not as nice, but surrounded by gorgeous beaches and uh, mount- well, not mountains hills uh and, and nice places to to go around yeah i have a friend that studied there and they said there was a road it was i think just pub road or something it was just all bars and stuff and it was mental yeah that's correct that's yeah, wide that's street kind of- yeah <laughs> yeah oh, i've heard of it it's it's amazing, yeah. i love how you corrected for hills because in over that way that there are little hills we call mountains but over where yeah. you are chris <laughs> That they would be seen as like <laughs> like yeah. little dips or something, yeah, <laughs> like tiny yeah. things. <laughs> well, I mean, I live I live in the Gatineau Hills, and they're so they're like I don't know how many they're not they're not huge they're like five hundred meters or something so they're hills. probably bigger than us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Alex, what part so of the UK? I'm French originally, but I think I hide it pretty well. Uh, I've lived in a few other countries around the world as well, but uh, currently I'm in the UK. I'm in southwest London, not too far from Wimbledon Way, for those who know the tennis. 
So not super built up, but not full of nature either. Kind of uh, a little mix. I still have to cycle a good 20 minutes, half an hour to get into actual countryside. Um, okay. So that's where, that's where I am at the minute. Cool. And um, what about the other two members of the team? Can uh, somebody want to fill us in about who they are? Or Yeah, sure. So Sal Montgomery, um, she is a professional kayaker. So spends a lot of her time abroad kayaking some of the most remote areas, new rivers that have never been kayaked before. Okay. And she's incredible in terms of um, safety in that side of things. She was on Steve Backshaw's TV show, um, a famous adventurer, Steve Backshaw, and she, okay. she saved his life. And she was very, very, very uh, happy to, <laughs> to have done that uh, because uh, it's, it's, it's never, ever not talked about um, since then. Um, and then Alex Egan, he is an environmental entrepreneur. He's got a few businesses that he started to try and make an impact in the climate change space. And he's a, a keen mountain biker. Sal, so going back to Sal, Sal had never cycled properly before doing this trip. Oh, wow. Okay. But, uh, Alex, Egan, Alex Egan had. Yeah. Fair enough. So some of the questions throughout, I mean, I guess anybody can answer. It's, um, you know, I don't, I don't care who, who wants to answer, but how do you guys, so you guys describe yourselves as eco-adventurers. What does that mean to you? Uh, I could, I could describe what that means. And sure. um, we, it's kind of a, a term that we just made up. So it's not, it's not something you're going to find very much, but it's combining adventure with environmental responsibility and educating others on the subject so it's adding that extra layer to your to your adventures that just kind of leave a bit more purpose and impact, um, and it's kind of living and breathing the environmental space. So being very conscious of what you're doing when you're in outdoor outdoor spaces, mm-hmm. you know, leaving leaving um, trash in in the trash can and not in in those places, like just stuff like that. Just thinking like this, promoting that and talking about it. Okay, um, that that's that's what we've just labelled it basically. Perfect. Yeah, it was the first time I think I've seen that, uh, that maybe the first time I've seen that label. And I was like, oh, good, interesting. I guess anybody who's uh, adventuring and they're, they're not using fossil fuels or they're trying to minimize their impact is to some degree an eco adventure. Mm. So. I mean, I can go into uh, more details sure. about how this one, how you know, how we try to make this one as eco friendly as possible. Go if for you it. Want, Chris. Yeah. We looked, you know, people who go adventuring, especially abroad, there's a lot, you know, they might be pretty eco when they go get to the place where they are but the flights are anything but right mm-hmm. so you know basing this one in the uk was already the first step to kind of reduce our impact massively because yeah. we wanted to do an adventure but then you know it was covid and then it made everyone kind of rethink a little bit their approach to travel a lot especially in europe where we're so used to cheap flights and that kind of thing yeah um so with this one i mean we basically looked as as many aspects as we could see like the big ticket items like the car for example Obviously, we were cycling, but we had a film crew for the documentary. So what options do we have here? So could we go electric? No, there's not that many options, especially in Scotland. There's hardly any charging points. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't feasible. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have months to do this. We all have full-time jobs. We only had two weeks to do the cycle. So we need to, we need to get moving every day. We can't just afford a whole day or two days of um, charging up and waiting. Right. So next best thing for that was a hybrid vehicle, uh, you know, a bit of mix of fuel and electric. So at the moment, that was the best solution we could find. Uh, camping rather than staying in hotels or built up areas. Wild camping in places as well in Scotland where we're able to do so. Uh, like just some of the, a lot of the consumable products we had, you know, your toothpaste, your sun cream, toothbrush, uh, all of that. We, we've all got sponsored from eco-friendly brands, you know, zero okay. waste brands or brands that are carbon neutral. 
and just made from very tough reusable materials as well mm-hmm. or recycled materials even our kit from endura some of it was made from recycled parts um from pqk like what we wore on the water bike crossing that was all recycled okay. materials as well uh and then more and then we even had you know carbon offsettings for the rest of the impact that we couldn't that we couldn't uh, get rid of basically so the fuel from the cars when they run, weren't running on mm-hmm. electricity and the film crew you know the camera equipment charging yeah. that up all that kind of thing so we, we did as best we could i think we did a pretty good job and you know we've got a massive list now of what we did and then we'll, we can try and do even better next time uh, and we're more than happy to share that with with people who ask as well because it's every every little helps right so yeah. the more everyone does this the better I think uh, that's amazing. And next time you guys could just go a little bit further. If you guys make a fire, you could just charcoal ends of sticks, chew on those to clean your teeth, and then just rinse it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like Activated charcoal, right? No. Activated <laughs> charcoal. Cool. I don't know how well that would work, but it'd probably work. Uh, I think it's worth trying. We'll it's try worth trying. Back. It's worth trying. Cool. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll give that to uh, one, one of the others to try. <laughs> Lucas right. is the youngest, so we we experiment with him. Usually. Oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's where age has its benefits. Um, all right. So, how did your interest in uh, adventuring develop, and um, what kind of adventures have you previously been on? So, I think uh, Isaac, you did mention bikepacking across Wales. Would you like to talk a bit about that? Yeah. So that bikepacking across Wales started because it was training for this bikepacking journey. Mm. That was my first ever experience of bikepacking where I carried all my stuff, all my food, my shelter, everything on the bike and went from the north of Wales to the south of Wales. And we did it over three days. I did it with my friend Ben. And um, yeah, it was it was quite intense because we didn't realize how unforgiving Snowdonia National Park is in terms of elevation. Okay, It's one of the hardest places I've ever cycled. It's just very, very tough um, to do. And for a newbie, I, I think starting at the, in the north, which is where Snowdonia is, was was quite shock because the first day is kind of flat for about maybe half a day. Yeah. And then you hit Snowdonia mountain range and then you're just in shock because you're thinking, am I going to get myself to that camping spot in time? I just was really, really shocked at the, mm-hmm. the amount of physical ability that I needed. So that really kind of opened my eyes to... The physicality of a bike being loaded, mm-hmm. every ma- every hill cumulatively got difficult, more difficult because of the weight of what was on the bike. And I realized that for this big expedition, that I needed to train a lot more with a weighted bike and not train with a light bike, basically. I was training with a light bike before this bike ah, packing okay. trip. So yeah, so it was my mistake. I should have really loaded it with bricks and uh, <laughs> made it re- really tough uh, so that I could handle these hills. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. And there were certain places in Wales where you're completely immersed in nature and you've got these small, tiny dirt tracks and there's no other cars or people around. And sometimes you can be cycling for about, I don't know, maybe two or three hours. And mm-hmm. this is quite a big thing in the UK. Being able to be around nature for two, three hours without seeing another person is quite rare because um, it's quite dense. The UK is quite mm-hmm. dense. But yeah, so th- three hours or so we, we had every now and then just to ourselves, just cycling these lovely tracks and trails and just taking in the nature around sort of the middle of Wales. Very, 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 very beautiful area that not a lot of tourists know of mm-hmm. um, and not a lot of people who go venturing about know of. Um, Lucas and I actually went there again uh, later on and we went into the middle of Wales for a cycle before the trip. 
just can't get enough of that place really it's i just that good, love huh? the remoteness yeah, nice. of it yeah we finished in cardiff so we just finished we finished in the sort of the capital wells like the big town mm-hmm. and i uh, lifted our bikes in the air i was like yeah we did it <laughs> to to nobody <laughs> yeah basically nobody yeah it was just kind of like That's why are these though. guys like holding these loaded bikes in the air whilst i'm walking my family to dinner so what kind of bike did you <laughs> use when you were bikepacking so i um started learning about bikes uh in in that year and i started with a b-twin decathlon just a normal yeah standard five b-twin 500 bike se and um yeah what i loved about that bike was the shifting so i had three three um cog rings on the front right mm-hmm. and uh, uh you know big bracket bracket at the back so i had amazing gearing i could go so low on that bike mm-hmm um but unfortunately it didn't last that long and i had to get a new bike um for for the actual expedition but i i loved that bike because on those hills sometimes we were going up 25 to 30 percent cent uh, sense yeah and you really need that granny gear that ultimate granny gear sometimes especially with a loaded bike mm-hmm. and uh i couldn't i don't think i could have done it uh, without without that b-twin um they're, they're a brilliant bike yeah there's something good about the, the three by in the front it's not common anymore but uh like my old mountain bike still has it and you can climb some pretty pretty massive hills with it super useful um yeah super useful i don't know why they don't do those three rings much anymore they're they're quite they're quite good for really steep areas but mm-hmm. I, I presume things have really developed in terms of having a bigger back sprocket now and what was your bikepacking setup like? Did you have um, like more of a tri- like any panniers and stuff, or was it more just a like front roll seat post bag that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, I kept tried to keep light as possible, so went um, with the uh, handlebar bag, and a frame bag, and a seat post bag, mm-hmm. and a top tube bag. Um, that they were the only bags that I chose. Um, I had r- ridden with panniers before, and I f- I found them just a little bit difficult on the hills. A lot of the weight was so far back on, on me and it, yeah. it just felt really difficult to go up hills and um, whilst i found with this it felt it felt like a more even spread and lighter setup um and consequently i chose that for the actual expedition the pedal for parks one as well okay and um, so yeah I, I stuck to i stuck to that sort of configuration it was yeah it was it was nice and i put most of the weight in the the frame bag because that was balanced where my, my body weight was as well so where i sit so all the weight was in the middle and it wasn't so it wasn't too front heavy. It wasn't too back heavy. It was That's perfect for front, for somebody yeah. who was really newbie. You did it all kind of right. Well, yeah, I asked a lot of people there before. <laughs> yeah, I did. I didn't enough. come up with this. <laughs> was this a bikepacking experience or this little expedition? Was it um, a lot of gravel roads or was there a lot of them paved as well? Or what was the kind of <laughs> supposed to be more paved? But occasionally uh, we use commute route and uh, commute is quite good at mm-hmm. taking you down the fastest ways. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there are, you know, pavements and roads yeah. and things like that. So is it actually just taking a commute route is is an adventure in itself because <laughs> <laughs> you just don't know what you're going to get unless you go there. And um, some people don't obviously put these highlights on the commute route. So you don't mm-hmm. actually know what that road looks like. I, I do like sometimes the highlights because I can see I, the pictures of the road. I presume that in um, in the near future, if they haven't already done it, they're going to come out with a surfaces type of uh, setting as well. Because I know that their they're big com- competitor, I'm not going to mention them, they have surfaces. So when you plot a route, you can see what's gravel, what's paved. 
So, yeah, I think that'd be quite I, useful. I presume that's there is that, but it's not always accurate. <laughs> yeah, there, that is true. It's not that's always right. accurate. Yeah. They 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 use like crowdsourced maps, so it's it's quite good. It keeps it spicy. Yeah. Um, we we had a quite. I mean, we had a guy called Marcus Stitz, who's a founder of Bikepacking Scotland. So he's a pretty uh. big guy up um up in that space. German guy who's single sped around the world, and it was really good to speak to him. And he was like, "Ah, oh, your route's not that good. Like, let me reroute you." through some of the highlands in Scotland to some, you know, more exciting, more raw terrain. <laughs> and so our bikes were just not made for some of the stuff we went yeah. down. We went down like, it wasn't even gravel anymore. It was proper mountain bike, um, you know, big chunks of big, like... Yeah, we call them deadheads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, big, big or chunks baby, of I rock. think they say baby heads. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> it was just yeah. like, you needed sus, like suspension, uh-huh. and none of us had any sus. Apart from Lucas, he had like maybe, I think you had a little bit, right, in your... Yeah, uh, in your handle, in your stem or something. Yeah, it's um, it's a, yeah. I, I bought the bike for literally just for the expedition. It was like a, I'm not sure if you know the comp carbon diverge, the specialized. Yeah, specialized has diverge like little, has the suspension. Yeah, yeah, the little yeah. handlebars. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I mean, I still felt every <laughs> rock for sure. But yeah, <laughs> it was made it a bit more comfortable. <laughs> a buddy of mine was using a specialized diverge, and he said like when he rode with me he's like i can see you hitting rocks and you're just kind of floating over everything but this diverge <laughs> is such a stiff bike because it was made for racing that you really feel the bumps and so i guess that's why they do the uh, suspension in the handlebars yeah yeah <laughs> lucas lucas loves those downhill races oh, i do oh, love yeah. he loves he loves speed <laughs> so i uh, i i haven't actually ever talked to anybody that bike packed in wales and um so it'd be interesting and i think it sounds like a it sounds like a wonderful place yeah, it's uh, surprisingly um, more accessible than people think um, because there isn't many routes mapped out that much. There are, is a quite a lot of um, gravel tracks that you can just come across and f- and find just w- that aren't mapped, that sometimes aren't on commute and things like that. And they're they're really just they're really enjoyable and are well made. Okay. Um, a lot of the w- Welsh people are big into mountain biking, graveling, and stuff like that so although it might not look like there's a lot of routes there 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 is loads of routes okay there. and uh alex i think you mentioned that this was kind of like your first big adventure was not yeah absolutely i never gone on like uh you know more than a few days doing you know kind of adventures like this and certainly not yeah a week two weeks camping every day mm-hmm. especially physically that was kind of a brand new challenge for me i've never done any kind of endurance i'd done quite a lot of mountain biking when i used to live in france and in germany but, uh, you know, you just go go out in the mountains, go for a day or two, but stay in a hotel, whatever, yeah. or an Airbnb, completely different. This was a lot more kind of sustained effort. So that was quite interesting to train for as well. Uh, and I'd never really been into road biking. I mean, none of us had really ever been that much into road cycling. So that was different, you know, different vibe, just learning to, it's a lot more meditative, I guess, less, less adrenaline than mountain biking. But um yeah, I mean, for, it was actually a, a pretty, pretty yeah, exactly, exactly, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a very good uh, process to learn from everyone else who'd done, you know, more adventures before. Mm-hmm. Just the mindset you need and the resilience, you know, the ability to fix things. Uh, I probably knew bikes the best was with the other Alex, like in terms of the mechanics of it. Uh, but I think by the end, we all knew how to fix, you know, punctures, yeah. chain, all that kind of thing. We all kind of had to learn, learn on the spot. Cool and help each other out so yeah it was wicked i'm just i'm in love with it now just gotta amazing do more we've got, we've got more ideas so i guess the hardest thing was really just trying to fit in around work that kind of thing all the training 
just basically the main thing was just being more even more disciplined mm-hmm. in my time than i was before right all right uh, and that, that was kind of the secret i guess because it's just so much fun <laughs> and so that wasn't hard to be motivated lucas um you rode across the ocean you got to tell us about that and I, I know isaac did too but we'll let you uh, we'll let you have the glory on this one <laughs> yeah so um in june july 2018 i've just finished my a levels so finished my secondary school um and i was going to go to university and i decided um kind of out of the blue to to row across the atlantic ocean by myself and um yeah so i i then thought well, okay i could either do that this year and take a gap year before i go to university yep. or do it after university or later on in life and i thought well, if I wait till after university, I'll need to get a job. I'll be looking at kind of progressing my career Absolutely. and stuff. So realistically, after if I don't do it now, it's not going to happen. So I, I took a gap year. My mum and dad weren't <laughs> weren't too pleased about that. They wanted me to go straight to university. But yeah, so I t- took a gap year and then I had about five months to to go from knowing absolutely nothing about ocean rowing um, to rowing across the Atlantic Ocean. And yeah, and then then I set off uh, same year as Isaac did as well. How was it? And that's nice. That's how we met. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how we met. Yeah, yeah. So and, is it an uh, event? Then, is it like an actual race, or is it a? Yeah, so it's it's like there's it's called the the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's I wouldn't say a race because everyone kind of does their own thing, but there is always a bit of so everyone starts at the same time. Okay. And everyone finishes and starts at the same place. But there's, you know, there's single, you know, single solos or pairs, teams of three, four, gotcha. five. Everyone does their own thing, but usually there's there's a bit of competition. And you can see there's like trackers where you can see all the boats and their trail and stuff. So everyone's kind of a bit like, oh, you know, who's who's where, who's who's, uh, who's ahead and stuff. But yeah, and then uh, myself, it, it took 59 days uh, and eight hours to get to, to get to the finish line. Uh, Isaac, how long how long was your one? Was it four? My yeah, my one was forty days. Uh, I was in a team, everyone, so I'm okay. a win. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm more of a hardcore guy now. Right now, talking. And you must have been like, oh my god, look at this kid. He's like just a teenager and he's going solo. He's freaking mental. You know? Yeah, towards the end, he was catching us up as well. We were like, come on, guys, there's four of us. <laughs> no, I, I see. I don't think I could have put up with uh, with a team of people for forty days. So. I take you know that's a challenge in itself. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, and, and it was it was really obviously it had its uh, had its moments where I was absolutely bricking it, but um, but it was it was really cool. And it, I, I always say it's not you never really get the chance to be by yourself, like really by yourself. You know, you're if you're at home for a few days and you just lock yourself in the house for a bit, you're alone. But yeah, you've always got if something goes wrong or whatever, or you feel a bit lonely, you can. You can talk to someone, you can listen to music, you can watch TV or whatever. You you have these distractions. But out there, you, you didn't have any internet connection. My music stopped working after a month because Spotify, What I hadn't been online, obviously, because I didn't have signal. So Spotify was like, we're not sure if he's paid his next month of subscription. Oh. So we'll deinstall all his music that he's downloaded, uh, which was devastating. And um, But I, as well, it's weird because I was only recently, I've kind of thought about this, but it's that's it's the only time you've ever kind of been on your own schedule you know you row when you want to you sleep when you want to you eat when you want to there's in real in the real world when you're back home there's always something or someone else you know your job or or something that kind of dictates mm-hmm. when you have to do what um whether it's out there obviously i had to get to the finish line i wanted to get there um relatively quickly but i was on my own i was on my own times you know my own schedule there was no one to tell me what to do or when to do it or how to do it 
um, wow. which was quite nice. And you don't, don't really get the chance to properly experience that anywhere else. How do you how do you manage your mindset when you're alone? And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's some real highs, but I'm sure there were some real, real lows. Yeah, there's a there's a few videos somewhere on my phone of, of me not looking in the best shape. Uh, and yeah, I think, you know, there were times where as well, I'd, I'd even get a bit nauseous, just like physically feel sick when I realized how alone I was, you know, when like, the closest people to you are, are the guys on the the ISS space station, and you kind of you really realise okay, there's you know <laughs> something goes wrong. No no one's gonna come out. No one's even gonna find me for a few days. But music was really helpful. Just like that voice, something you know, it just made you feel a bit less alone. Um, it was it was quite comforting. And once that went, then obviously it, it brought up new challenges because uh, my one coping mechanism kind of went. Mm-hmm. But I guess kind of just appreciating where you're at, you know, you're in the middle of the ocean, like very, very few people can ever say that they or can experience that. And that was like quite a, uh, like, I wouldn't say soothing. It was quite scary, but, um, like comforting in a way of, Oh, like this is, this is quite cool. Let's, let's appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and you know, even going swimming with uh, on Christmas day, like 40, 50 dolphins are jumping on the front of my boat and swimming around the boat. When, you know, I jumped straight in, obviously I tied myself to the boat, but I jumped straight in and, and went swimming with dolphins on Christmas Day by myself. You know, you don't, it's, it's so many cool things that, yeah. that just, even now are like, oh, that actually happened. <laughs> you know, it doesn't feel real. It's pretty amazing. Like just, I mean, both you guys to, to row across the ocean is, is next level ultra endurance. Cause you don't, you don't have an off day. You can't say, oh, my shoulder's bothering me today. I'm not going to row. You know, I mean, maybe you could, but I mean you know, that adds another day to your trip and, uh, it becomes for, you know, anything could happen and you're all alone. If there's an emergency, like you said, it could be days before somebody finds you. That's, um, so you have like safety equipment that you need to bring with you. Yeah. And one of the bits of kit is a throwing line. So if someone goes overboard, you throw it to the other person. And in like the safety brief, we were like, well, is that necessary for us a solo rower? Cause obviously you fall in the water. No one's gonna. Who do you ask to throw the line to you? Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's yeah, Spotify. It's really cool throw me the line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey Siri, please. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on. Let's talk about pedal for parks. How did the idea for this come to be? Uh, well, this the idea to do a long cycle and do something for nature came during the Atlantic Row. Um, I, I was thinking about all the things that mattered to me when I was out in the ocean and family, friends, communication with, with people was really essential, but nature and outdoors was, was so, was so important. It came up at the top and I just thought, whatever I do next, I, I need to do something towards n- nature because it gives me so much physical, mental health. Mm-hmm. It preserves the environment. It, it's just an amazing thing to do something for. So that's where the inkling of doing this sort of themed project came from. And then I was thinking in my head, oh, do you know, I've done loads of rowing, love to do cycling. And we were talking on the boat, me, me amongst the team about like all these cycle challenges you could do. And uh, John O'Groats to Land's End came up a few times. And I was like, oh, I've, I've actually thought of that a long time ago mm-hmm. by doing it. I might as well, yeah, I could give that a go. So then I came back um, from the row and was doing other bits and pieces, speaking on things and met up with Alex in a pub and Alex and I just had a bit of a chat and I was talking to him about I'm going to do John O'Groats Land's End. Um, I'm building a team sort of thing. 
Uh, I'd like to do it around sort of nature, national parks, maybe something like this. Alex was super keen okay. and wanted to do it too. And we, 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 we basically kicked it off from there. Um, there was another teammate at the time who, who was uh, who was going to join us, but it, it didn't work out. But um, yeah, so we started like that. National parks was our main theme. And then it kind of grew. Uh, Lucas um, was uh, interested in doing a new challenge. And um, I reached out to Lucas. I remember talking to you. Or, or we were just having a chat, weren't we, about sort of challenges and things. And I said, Alex and I are doing this this thing. Would you like to get involved? And Lucas sounds, sounds awesome. Let's do it. Um, yeah, it was pretty much like that. Uh, and, and it was just going to be a challenge. And then we started doing a bit of critical thinking. And was thinking, like, what would really, really, really make an impact? Because I've done a few challenges, raise money for charity before, and it's it's nice raising money and a bit of awareness for the charity, but we it was it wasn't quite educating. It didn't feel so purposeful of such. Like I've raised money for other charities that maybe aren't so associated with my with my mm-hmm. family and things like this. It wasn't so close to home. So raising money for national parks was a was a good one. Because it, it meant that we were raising money for the environment, which was really important for physical and mental health, which was really important for, for us and, and everyone else. But also making a film documentary yeah. and highlighting sort of positive things that are going on in the UK. We all kind of were getting sick of these headlines, these climate change headlines. Oh, the world is going to hell. Two degrees, we're never going to get there. All, this, all that stuff, right? And it's just yeah. it absolutely drowns out all the positive great things that are going on there's incredible climate solutions happening all the time and they're not getting any airtime or any presence or awareness so we thought we'd combine our adventure with climate solutions and environmental projects that aim to preserve and protect nature so together we devised this this crazy route that combined an incredible amount of endurance adventure and cycling and multiple interviews with multiple yeah. projects that were all interesting and different but we can go into details about uh, and we did it over two weeks and um, so that's how the pedal for parks sort of came together and in the expedition had a bit of a twist i was um looking at my friend's uh, facebook and uh, he had uh, cycled across the sea on a water bike um <laughs> in monaco with with the princess of monaco it was like a big pr stunt for these water bikes and something to do with princess of monaco i just saw it and i thought that is wicked and i work in the energy industry knowing about orkney and the incredible innovative renewable energy and hydrogen and all these tidal turbines and wind farms and things that are all going on up in orkney i thought do you know what we could make this journey longer and connect some more climate solutions some more really big you know shakers in the climate change space so we decided, well, I, I, I posed to the team, would you be up for water biking across water to connect the Orkney Islands to the mainland and also do the Isles of Scilly as well, which is also kind of a sustainable, renewable energy hub. The team were like, that's wacky, but sounds great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we made the route longer and both of those two bits of sea that we were aiming to cross are extremely difficult and dangerous to cross because they've got extremely high tidal currents so the sea can move up to 15 miles per hour at times in the Pentland Firth and the current is so strong the tide is one of the strongest in Europe okay so you really have to nail the timing and get the right tide so yeah that added twist gives it a bit of a 
I guess, a, an extra edge. It's an unusual cycle trip because it's got bike packing and water biking combined. Plus, it's got a lot of purpose in the climate solutions awareness and raise, raising sort of their 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 projects to to a bigger audience than than they've been getting. So we're, we're just hoping to, that our film can just kind of fight back against all of the negativity <laughs> that's cool. going on. And uh, the other two members of the team, how did they end up getting added? So towards, I guess, the start of the project, um, the actual start of the expedition, we were looking at sort of bolstering the team a bit more to have, a, I guess, more expertise in expeditions on water because none of us had done sort of water bike crossings. We had rode the Atlantic Ocean, but it's a bit different doing tidal stuff. Mm-hmm. It's something that we, in, a, in an ocean row, you don't really do too much. So we we're thinking maybe we needed somebody to have a bit more experience on like that that those difficult waters. So we we recruited Sal for that. Okay. And then we recruited uh, another for sort of a bit more of an environmental brain. And um, so although I work in the energy industry, energy transition that's fairly new to me. None of the other team, the rest of the team, really work in sustainability or environmental space. So having someone who actually is in that space, has been there for a long time, maybe 15, 20 years or something like that. It's quite valuable in terms of steering conversations and making sure that we're going down the right tracks and things like that. So we were looking for someone of that nature um, to, to, to sort of help us out. And then the other thing was when we were getting close to the start of the expedition, there was a lot of admin to do, a lot. We had to do all the film preparation. We were still getting sponsorship. So yeah. we did need to boost our sort of admin team as well. So bringing in new team members helps out too. So that that's how that's how they joined. Cool. Awesome. So what are you hoping to achieve through the whole entire Pedal for Parks challenge? It's an impact campaign and we're hoping to do a bit of a behavior change. Alex is really great at summing this up. So I'll, I'll leave it to Alex. All right. So I'll take this one. So it's, we're an impact campaign overall. So we want to bring out, you know, positive noise to kind of fight back against the negativity. And we want people to see these wonderful projects that are going on in the UK and give them financial and just um, conversational just, just backing, right? There's so many technologies out there that can help us. You, you often hear, oh, we can't solve this or we don't know how we do this. There's lots out there. And if we could scale it all up, we'd actually solve so many problems mm-hmm. way quicker. Like there's hydrogen technology, there's carbon capture technology, there's just ways of doing things, designing towns that we used to do in the past that we've kind of forgotten and we can do again. Like the ideas are there. They've been proven as well a lot of the time, just on a smaller scale. They're just really the main two things we got from, from all these projects that they're lacking, apart from funding, like, like many things, like anyone, you can always use more money, right? It's very rare to find a project that's, you know, so so big that they can just keep growing and growing. Yeah, uh, it's collaboration and just bringing the people together. A lot of the time, even projects in a similar space weren't aware. So you know, forums for them to share best ideas. Just less legislation, less barriers, less bureaucracy. So we just want to, you know, put that in more people's minds and ours, and just get people more involved. There's so much going on at local levels. So it's just kind of making putting the climate kind of solutions agenda just further up in people's minds and more of a part of day-to-day life, right? And show that everyone at the individual level, just like we've done with this campaign, we've kind of created ourselves out of 
it wasn't there before. We just kind yeah. of made it. That you know, any, anyone can can do things and. Before continuing on with the podcast, I just want to thank some of the Bike Tour Adventures sponsors. Bike Tour Adventures is proudly sponsored by Redshift Sports. Founded in 2013 by a team of mechanical engineers who happen to be avid cyclists, they've been focused on creating components that make a meaningful difference to the riding experience, such as the switch aero system, the shock stop suspension system, and the kitchen sink handlebar system. I've been using the dual position seat posts paired with the shock stop stem since 2020 and have nothing but great things to say about their products. Use the checkout code BTA15 on their website to save 15%. Beginning in 2010 with environmental sustainability as a main focal point, Restrap has been in the bag making business for quite some time. Having used a race bag since 2021, I find their holster system and magnetic buckles to be extremely effective and truly unique. Use the checkout code BTAPOD10 to save 10%. At checkout. Lastly, named after the animal that roams the Tibetan plateau, Chiru Endurance Bikes was started by Pierre Arnaud Le Mangin in 2009. After noticing the lack of endurance bikes on the market, Pierre used his expertise, know-how, and racing experience to create high-end carbon fiber and titanium bikes for the discerning rider and racer. Thanks, and back to the podcast. We're not experts. You know, we're pretty, pretty regular people. We have jobs, and we still manage to do this on the side, so... Try and show other people that it's it's, it's very doable, um, and and educate them. And we want to share share the love, right? Like feed it forward to everyone, pass it on. Yeah. Because uh, that that's the best way. The more people get involved, it just snowballs. Um, so that's that's really the key thing we're trying to do here. Yeah, I guess you can either be part of the problem or you can be part of the change, right? So. Exactly. I a, a brilliant example that we tend to say in a lot of you know our talks and things about the sort of projects that we we've seen. One was in Pembrokeshire in Wales. It was a seaweed farm. It took three years for them to get the permission to grow seaweed. Seaweed has 20 times the storing capacity of CO2 than trees and things like Mm -hmm. that. So already it's a massive shaker in storing carbon. The second thing is they they have the technology now to 3D print seaweed so that you can create packaging, cups cutlery out of seaweed that's strong and sturdy eat your meals whatever like that and then you can literally just throw it in the sea and it'll feed the fish no damage to the environment whatsoever gets oh, rid wow. of single-use plastic that, that that is there it's there no one knows about it this is what we're trying to do we're trying to bring these things out if let we, people know what's avail- available if we could get to them. china to do that we would change the world exactly right because everything is wrapped in plastic everything let's get china to what china should listen to this podcast (laughs) (laughs) so and i think i also i saw mention about the uk national parks i know we talked about a little bit before we went on to the starting the podcast but how how are uk national parks at risk i know here in canada parks are really protected especially national parks provincial parks are more easily accessible national parks you have to pay to enter and stuff so yeah, I mean, we don't have those sort of barriers that you, you've got there where you've got to pay to enter. So some of the dilemmas that we have is that during the COVID pandemic, a lot of people reconnected with nature because it was an outlet. Yeah. So as soon as there was sort of the release of restrictions, everyone's like, whoa, we can't go abroad. So what's the next best thing? Okay, let's go to all these national parks because national parks are big, open, outdoor areas that are just amazing to go to. Some of the best scenery in the UK. So they're great holiday destinations. So what the threat is, a lot of people who don't generally go to national parks or go to these spaces, mm-hmm. they usually go abroad or they stay in the cities and things, are venturing out to these spaces, but they don't 
kind of know how to act or well not all of them i'm not saying all of them are bad when they go there but they're not educated it's not in school you're not educated about leave no trace you're not educated about how to go on trails and you shouldn't venture and cut through shrubbery for your own benefit sort of thing and you shouldn't chase animals and try and chase animals and throw stones at them and things like or or feed the animals yeah Yeah. you know all these sort of things that people do Mm -hmm. um you know oh yeah but one of the things is um driving cars in these national parks and then um so many people in the parks there's not enough infrastructure to to um hold them all so they're all you know not going to the toilet you know in actual toilets they're yeah. on the side of the road going to the toilet yeah it's just chaos um we're having too many people in the park so we don't have that limit like you guys out out out, out your way um and then the other dilemma that we have is that the population is always growing the amount of tourists that are ha- coming to the UK is, is always growing. So there's more and more people venturing into these parks and mm. they're not very big. They're not very big parks, although they are, I guess, big for us, but like it, it compared to the parks that you guys have got, they're not very big. And there's a lot of people there, which means there needs to be a lot more infrastructure. Right. And that infrastructure is what sort of breaks up green corridors. So that makes it difficult for biodiversity to migrate mm-hmm. uh, and, and things like this. So, they're, they're, they are always under threat just based on human activity um and we we, we kind of trying to uh support them through this film by sh- sort of giving them a voice so that people can kind of see like how you should act or what the national parks are doing to try and prevent yeah. too much human activity damaging the environment and they are doing incredible things like uh, education programs mm-hmm. in schools um they're limiting infrastructure to certain areas of the national park so that other areas of the national park you just can't really get to because there's no infrastructure in place to get uh, there. Okay. So they're doing things like this, um, uh, which is really smart. And I, I really found that interesting. And I think it's important that people understand why they're doing that as well. Yeah. They're not doing it for, for the fun of it. I mean, of course, everyone should be able to go all over the national park or such, but they're doing it because the parks are getting so overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I think Lucas um, wanted to say something on this as well. I was just going to say about the lack of education on how to behave. You know, you keep your rubbish in your pocket for for a little bit further until you get back home. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you pretty much covered it all there. I think uh, like in Canada, I mean, we don't have it. It's not perfect either. I think COVID was actually a time for Canada's parks to recover because tourism was down massively. Where are you guys? Everybody went out and everybody was like, Going to the parks here in Canada, even if everybody went to the parks, it's pretty small compared to the amount of tourists that come here to go to the parks. Um, if you look at like Banff National Park, it was, I mean, we went this year, my wife and I, and it was so quiet. It was, you go hiking in the morning, you don't see a single person, you know, like just amazing. Um, you can actually take pictures of Lake Louise without tons of people in it, you know, it was sweet. Oh. <laughs> and one thing they do really well and really cool in Canada is they have, uh, they have, where the expressway is or the highway that goes through the park, they have animal bridges. So it's fences that lead to the bridge and it's only for animals. So it's covered in trees and stuff and bears and all these animals just walk across the bridge. Oh, they, they've yeah, created artificial. That's quite cool, yeah. That's green yeah, we've got, we, Yes, right. We've got a few around here as well. You don't see them too often, but mm-hmm. I remember in Germany and France, I've seen them quite a lot more as well, like for hedgehogs as well, frogs. They have all these little bridges over motorways, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Let's talk about the ride. So you guys rode, um, I guess it's commonly known as Joggle, right? John O'Groats to Land's End. 
plus plus. <laughs> exactly, plus plus. <laughs> <laughs> is is That's right. is the route? Is it mostly gravel, farm trails, single track? How? What is the the makeup of this route? Yeah, the the traditional route is just road. Okay, uh, and we would like note <laughs> that you can do it pretty quickly. You can do it way quicker than we did. The first two big things we did was add the northernmost and southernmost points because mm-hmm. normally it's actually between the two furthest mainland points. Uh, but we added those because they're pretty stunning, actually. They were both re- some of the best scenery of the whole trip. Okay. Uh, the one in the north called Dunnett's Head. We saw some puffins there, which I don't know if you've got them in Canada, but they're pretty, pretty special animals. They will look like cartoons a little bit. Yeah, we don't have um, them. <laughs> birds, they're, they're very great. And the south was just... Uh, Pretty, pretty stunning as well. Very sunny day when we went there. Uh, and then we, 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 we tweaked it quite a lot because, one, we didn't want to just ride main roads for half the time, like the traditional route does. You know, with the A roads, which are like the next step down from yeah. motorways in the UK. That, that's just not no fun, really. So try and avoid those as much as we could. We didn't want to just ride through traffic. We were kind of trying to show yeah. other things, really, especially since we're, most of us live in towns. And then we connected loads of projects, right? So we had to do detours or go just yeah just completely different route really so the kind of start and end point were the same but a lot of it was was different mm-hmm. and the meat of it was very quite different okay. i thought maybe you were following like the uk divide route partly or something and no it was kind of ad hoc i mean we spent many hours with isaac re- redoing the route like oh we've added this interview here let's now we need <laughs> to go across this bit of the country instead <laughs> we obviously couldn't do every single interview we found so we did Otherwise, we would have zigzagged and we would have mm-hmm. taken way longer than two weeks. So we had to keep it fairly efficient. Uh, so we did do, what? how many did we do? Maybe like five, four, five interviews on, yeah. on the drive up, the ones on the eastern side of the country because yeah. we were kind of skirting the left, really. Uh, and we tried to do as many national parks as we could. Uh, we got six out of the 15. So, you know, pretty pretty good, uh, two-fifths, because uh, a lot of them were more, more central, more eastern. So... Again, we couldn't we couldn't go through through those. Uh, but the ones we didn't include on the route, we pretty much went to all of them during our training. Actually, so there's a uh, there's not many we haven't been to actually out of the fifteen. I think there's just two, two or three. Okay. Um, which will will definitely go at some point. But um, yeah, that that was um quite a fair bit of road, a fair bit of gravel, um, some mountain bike. bike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I was saying earlier. Some, <laughs> I don't know how, Chris, how the hell our bikes like survived <laughs> that, that day because um, like without any suspension, um, it was just, <laughs> it was all gravel bikes, but you know, they weren't, they weren't, they were of different qualities as well. Like Lucas, we was laughed at him because he bought this, the super nice specialized divergent and Isaac didn't say it earlier, but it was uh, quite, it's actually quite impressive when you think of it. He got his bike, what, a few days, his gravel bike, how many days before the expedition? Mike, like, no Isaac. Isaac. When, did, when did you get yours? I mean, Lucas got uh, his pretty barely rode it as well. But uh, this, this, <laughs> this, uh, for any big cyclist, you're going to look down on me. I got it two days before the trip, <laughs> <laughs> and I took it out for a little, a little. I think it was a little spin, or and, and then I was like, "Feels great." Hey, I I interviewed somebody. <laughs> I forget who it is. I interviewed them. They bought their bike and all their gear, and they didn't. I think they barely got it even put together, and then they flew to Alaska and started cycling south. So, like, <laughs> well, did they do? He's got a wig here, right? No, they got eat, they got eaten by a polar. No, uh, yeah, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a story. That, that's like um, my first ever cycle expedition. I I told uh, Isaac and Alex about this when I joined the team. 
So I'd never been on a road bike before, it, like in my life. And I found my dad's old road bike. It, the bike was older than I was. I was 17 at the time. And um, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. So I went on a little ride um, and, uh, you know, used my dad's helmet, his old shoes and stuff. Knew absolutely, you know, didn't know how to change a tire. Didn't like just learning to mm-hmm. use cleats and all that. And then uh, the next day I was like, oh, like, again, I'll give it another go. I did that like 100K. Um, and then the day after, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to just go on a little adventure. So I, my dad had like an old, um, handlebar bag. Um, and I whacked my passport in, didn't have, like I had to buy cycling bib shorts. Cause again, I'd never worn cycling bib shorts, bought myself a new helmet, um, and like a windproof jacket and just basically all my, all my bike gear and then cycled. So my dad lives in Austria and then cycled okay. Austria down through Italy, Slovenia, down to Croatia and back. And wow. I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, thank God nothing happened. Like if a tire had burst, the brakes, whatever. I had to call my dad. <laughs> he had to tell me how to like tighten the brakes because obviously it was in the Alps. So the brake pads were just absolutely shot. I didn't have a service before. I don't know how I survived, but somehow I got back alive. And uh, yeah, I knew absolutely nothing about bikes and managed to. That's, uh, <laughs> to that's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, I love it. <laughs> We we got a danger man here. <laughs> yeah, we we really do. You should see him on the downhills, Chris. Like he broke, he had the fastest speed of the whole trip. How, how fast did you get in the end? I think it was uh, ninety four kilometers an hour. I think. <laughs> wow. Okay, so you guys do have some small hills there in the UK, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get the hundred every time you go out. I guess. <laughs> no, I think the fastest I've ever been is eighty seven. So you beat me, Lucas. Oh, yes. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> He loves that. As soon as someone says he's done done more than Lucas, Lucas will get out on his bike tomorrow. (laughs) Like a lot of people ask me, they're like, oh man, how often do you wear out your brakes? You know, change your pads or your rotors. And I'm like, I don't really brake often. Like I go downhill, I I brake if I have to, but otherwise I just go as fast as the bike goes. And sometimes that's, (laughs) that's a little reckless, but yeah. Momentum. Yeah, it's it's hard to do that in the UK. It's very hard to find spaces without cars for for a long amount of time as well. Yeah, very yeah. hard. So when you do, you make the most of it, right? <laughs> so uh, what was it like to cycle in the Orkney Islands? So let's talk about the actual ride here. So Who Orkney, the first guys? Yeah. Orkney was it. so barren. It was such a barren place. Like it was kind of like it previously is molten rock, isn't it? And um, that's how what, what Aaron, uh, Orkney was made from. And it used to be actually covered in trees. So the whole Orkneys used to be covered in trees, but so many sort of agricultural pastures now oh, wow. now okay. occupy that space it's it's pretty much it's pretty much fields and like terrain that you just wouldn't you couldn't grow trees on or anything like that the problem that w- we found was that because of that you're very open to the wind and the weather systems so it's quite it can be quite like tough cycling out there you need you need good days really to do some good okay. cycling uh, because you get just hit by wind and rain that's really really strong so some of the strongest winds in europe are on the orkney so oh, okay wow yeah yeah it's really strong wind and um, we were quite lucky on our day we had bright blue sun and orkney itself is just surrounded uh, by um big t- tidal seas so you, everywhere you look you kind of see these big tidal seas and then you look on orkney and it's nice and it's just very green and very rocky um it's a bit like it's like a strange sort of space world, really. It's it's so different to the rest of the UK. And there's lots and lots of ancient relics. Um, also, there's points on Orkney where you have these sort of bridges that are 
kind of go and interconnect islands together. Okay. So you cycle on these little mini islands. And as you cycle these little bridges, either side, you see shipwrecks everywhere. So as we were cycling through Orkney, we were thinking, wow, like this water bike crossing better be good. (laughs) (laughs) Seeing all these shipwrecks everywhere. Um, And then we went, we went to a a settlement, um, an ancient settlement that was 5,000 BC um, called Scarabray. Wow. And that, that was such a cool highlight to see. Um, Talk about, you know, when you're bikepacking, you want to, you want to see some cool stuff. That was a great place to go to see how big is it uh, really how big enjoyed. are the orkney islands like or how long was the ride uh, yeah the ride was across was about three four hours okay. for us to go from it was on mainland only so we didn't do all of the like all the islands yeah. we just did the mainland and, and that was about three to four hours yeah, I uh, think they it was are, about 80k wasn't it That's yeah it was 80k wasn't it yeah, yeah about that. if you were to say size wise um yeah not that not that big to be honest you can see other islands um Maybe in the middle of Orkneys, we did feel at one point that we were on mainland because all of the hills around us were taller than mm-hmm. what you could see. You can see the actual sea or ocean. Oh, right, so cool. that was only one time, really. Um, the rest of it, you just see coastline all the time. So it feels smaller than it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a good barren place. They, they really love tourists up there as well. Yeah. So yeah, they, oh, they're really, cool. really, really into it. And they've got some cool history. Uh, Vi- it's a lot of Viking history. Um, yeah, they're big on the Vikings stuff. Yeah, I was looking I through your blog one... post. It looked really nice. Yeah, that, that was yes. one of the things we kind of discovered was um, how many actual, like awesome places there are that you just don't even know exist until you've kind of mm-hmm. gone out. And it's, it's a bit of a shame that we were on such like a, a time-pressured schedule. You know, we had interviews and all of that and like certain miles we had to do each day because we, we never really got the chance to properly. We saw so many cool places but never really got the chance to be like, oh, that's like sit here and kind of appreciate it or like explore it a bit further. Yeah. So that's definitely uh, something we have to revisit at some point. Uh, Lucas was, uh, you know, he had a really good um, view of some orcas and killer whales. That was pretty <laughs> that, awesome. That was very cool. Yeah. yeah. So there, at the at basically where we were starting our water bike crossing the day before or the night before, um, there yeah, we saw some orcas and killer whales, and wow. I tried to tried to get in up close to them, but I. The, the ways were a bit too choppy so i got to the end of like the rocks but then uh i thought if i go in any further i'll uh <laughs> and were you swimming or you were on again, the bike so... no I was, I was swimming i was swimming okay very yeah, cool yeah. um yeah that was awesome so what was the what was the water crossing like i mean this was kind of like your 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 guys um first real open water type water biking right yep. yeah that was that was pretty wicked that was <laughs> i have to say before we did the the crossing We'd only done about an hour's worth of training on the water bikes before. One was like 10, 15 minutes when we first got one down in Torquay in the south of England on the English Riviera, um, just to try it out in the harbor. And then we did a bit on a reservoir, like mm-hmm. the stillest water you can have, you know, <laughs> a small reservoir in Wales. Um, so that was, you know, we're like, oh, these are fine. But we never really tested it in uh, choppy conditions. Um, oh, man, I don't know. What, what we did to deserve it but we had amazing weather like there was <laughs> not much swell um the pilot was like wow <laughs> you guys you guys are so lucky because uh, uh-huh. normally the currents and the tides could be so so violent um so we had, but we to do this we had to su- we still suffered a little bit we had to get up at 3 30 in the morning because of the low swell um if we'd done it you know any later it probably wasn't going to go ahead um so we pumped them up, pumped up the bikes, 
got on. Isaac and I left. Um, and it went, it went really well, man. It went, um, we did a uh, changeovers and we did half hour shifts. Okay. So we staggered it as well. So every 15 minutes, one of us, one of the two people on the bikes would change. Uh, cause there were five of us, but only two bikes, because if anything had gone wrong, you know, on five bikes, it's like, who do you save? They can stray quite far apart from each other. Oh, you know, okay. It's not like I see. Land yeah. Cycling. yeah. If you had so five decided, bikes, you kind of want to have yeah. at least two, three boats then. Right. So. So yeah, add. exactly. And then it's more costs, more complications, more more admin. So we kind of kept it a lot simpler. Went for two bikes only, and that that was a great decision, really. Uh, at least you're not by yourself. You're always with someone. You're talking. Um, it's it's hard going. It's uh, we we say it's about three times harder than normal cycling. Okay. Um, the way these work as well, it's a belt drive, and it's only a single gear. So once you reach, you know, a certain speed, you can't go any faster. Oh, so if you just okay. push, if you push harder, you're not going any faster. So you're just wasting energy, wasting your time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of feels, <laughs> this is kind of a weird image, but it feels, you know, those step machines in the gym where yeah. you like do steps. Cause I don't know, you don't want to use real steps, but yeah. they have, you know, you push down and they come up like weirdly. It's not, it doesn't come up at the same speed as it goes down. Right. Um, that's kind of how the pedals on the water bike feel. And then it always feels like you're going uphill, like a two, three percent gradient, because um, you're always fighting the water, and it's obviously a lot mm-hmm. more resistance than cycling on land, right? So, you know, <laughs> any talk about rolling resistance, any of that goes out the window, really, on these things. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's nowhere near yeah the speeds you get on a real bike. So it, it's tough going, and obviously you can't just coast, you can't just downhill. There's yeah. no downhill. You know, you stop pedaling, you just get taken by the current. So uh, that's why we did a relay as well. Okay. Um, and ah, it's so cool because you're so close to like birds coming. Um, we had we had the the boat obviously, so you could see the team. Um, it's just it, yeah, so exposed. That's what they're they're very exposed because you're quite high up. It's not like in a kayak or a canoe where you're kind of or a rowing boat where you're a lot more level with the water. Here on the bike, it's kind of like on a spin bike. Yeah. And then you've got two fenders, a bit like a catamaran kind of design. And you're, you're quite high up, so you can feel, you know, you can you rock and you feel the wind. Um, yeah, it's just, you feel so alive on it, I guess. Does it, is, so it, is it stable, you, though? You couldn't or? fall asleep. Is it quite yeah, stable? They were so, yeah, they were so stable. We, they were like, they really impressed us, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't have insane conditions, but we did have some choppiness. And, you know, they, you can kind of go over the, the little waves that come at you, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, they're, they're very well built, like. At no point, I think, did any of us feel, oh, crap, this is going to deflate or, or break. We were pretty pretty happy yeah, I pretty saw, happy on them. I saw one this summer in uh, St. John, New Brunswick, in the, a little bit eastern Canada, and I had a chance, uh, but I didn't feel like renting it for an hour to ride. I was like, ah. Uh, ah, uh, you got to try it. If you can, if you can. It's, it's, it's good fun. They go about five miles per hour, maybe, or bad. like seven, seven kilometers per hour max. That's, mm. that's it. That's your limit. Oh, wow. You don't go okay. faster than that. Yes, yeah, so yeah, that was my next question. Um, all right, so when you guys reached the mainland, what was it like? What mm. was the feeling? Um, so, so it 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 didn't. I, I mean, obviously, it felt great. You know, we just finished like this world first expedition, but it, it didn't quite go as planned. As we um, we came around the corner of the island, and we'd like came into view of the beach that we were going to land on. Yeah, um, I think it was Isaac and Alex both on the water. Uh, hang on, man. We're still we're still up in Scotland here. <laughs> <laughs> And, you're, uh, talk, you're, you're giving spoilers about the Elves of Silly. 
Oh, are we talking about about Scotland? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wait, rewind, rewind. We'll we'll save save that, rewind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Then uh, who who was it that it was uh, Isaac and Sal, wasn't it? Yeah, we finished it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Isaac and Sal finished his first crossing. Yeah. It was a bit odd. It was odd because we just we just finished this incredible cycle across Orkney, going across the sea, and then knowing that you are now just starting one of the main cycling expedition things, and that was going to be for another nine hundred and fifty miles. Right? Yeah, so it's like it's super odd that you you've just got there, and because um, we did the small bike crossing in the morning of that day, and that we had delayed a day basically to do this crossing sort of thing, we had to make up the time because. To make the other water bike crossing on the other side in the Isles of Scilly, yeah. there's a time window to get the good conditions. So we only had a time window of about 13 days. Oh. So we actually cycled another, an actual bike packing day that we had planned as a separate day on top of the water bike day. Got it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so you started super early. Long. Yeah, so we just like literally got there, like deflated <laughs> the water bikes, ju- just changed kit into normal bikes again touched a sign got a picture and then just went again for 100 miles <laughs> it was just a bit like it was a quick like yay and then let's carry on i see what were what were some of the bigger challenges with the cycling through the uk how did the weather hold up other other drivers was probably the worst <laughs> the most dangerous part i think but, uh, I, I agree yeah. other drivers were yeah, so yeah. bad uh, the rain the rain was pretty bad in the middle of the of the trip so when we when we got to past glasgow uh which was kind of just coming into england the first few days in england and just the first sort of day of uh, last day of scotland was just uh, just loads of downpour rain and it was quite urban uh just very boring to be honest so when you're looking for inspiration sometimes you use the weather but we couldn't so uh we just had to just use this like lovely straight road that we had (laughs) and just like wow we're on this really great straight road for ages and ages we're clocking miles we were going quite quick on it. Very miserable. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just a bit miserable. Uh, but that's all part of the parcel of expeditions. Not every single day is mm-hmm. the best day ever. Yeah. So, I mean, just not being at work was a was a great thing. So. And did you guys carry everything <laughs> with you? Like you had all your food, or you had uh, you had resupplies of food and stuff along the way? No. So, so we did originally. We were going to be fully unsupported, um, but we ended up realizing that it wouldn't. We would have kind of lost we would have been so tired we wouldn't have been able to focus on the main thing which was this like environmental project mm-hmm. and the interviews and stuff and if we rocked up to the interviews absolutely knackered because we'd just been carrying all our kit we thought it kind of defeats the point of the whole um you know bring the film crew with us so we okay. we compromised a bit on the adventure side and we ended up having a, a support crew that, that kind of we took what we needed for the day yeah um but uh, you know in the evenings and stuff um or we'd kind of buy locally or um, or have our support <laughs> crew uh, bring us a piece yeah. of Yeah. Okay. We, we, had snacks, we ate mostly snacks during the day, just off the yeah. bike, things like that. Like in bikepacking, you just stuff your stuff with snacks and like pastries and stuff. Mm-hmm. We did that. Uh, but at night, yeah, like Lucas said, uh, we were pretty lucky to have some meals cooked for us and things, which was quite nice. 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 And uh, did you guys camp every night or were there hotels and stuff mixed in? Yeah, camped every night. Nice. Uh, camping, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And you guys wild camped in Scotland where it's allowed, right? And then Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that a few times. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. We we wild camped uh in Orkney, like just at the harbour where we we're gonna go on the water bikes mm-hmm. the next day. So that was quite that was quite epic. You know, we set up, we're like 
we could look, you know, we could see John O'Groats. It's about a 12 kilometer crossing. So, okay. like, right, we're doing this tomorrow. It was quite a, <laughs> quite a lot of nervousness, like excited nervousness, anticipation. But like, oh, bloody hell. Like, we're doing this. This is real now. Yeah. We're at the site. Um, and You're so it was generous. Just, it was, yeah. <laughs> You're generous. You said a harbor. It was a pit. It was literally just one pit. It's yeah, one for pit. one boat. <laughs> for one boat. I, 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 and there was nothing else. <laughs> there was nothing there. It was just, yeah, just just all these concrete, like, blocks that they use for, like, flood protection. Yeah. And then the bit where the, you know, the one pontoon for the one or two boats that go there. Um, pretty, pretty barren as well, again. Just some grass. It was, but uh, the, the, the next one, no, the other wild, big wild camp we did, the one that really sticks in everyone's minds yeah. was uh, in the Cairngorms National Park. So it's the biggest national park in the UK, definitely the wildest. Uh, everyone fell in love with it. Uh, there was still snow there, uh, oh, which wow, is, you nice. know, snow in the UK. It's pretty rare, especially for those of us in England. Like, that's not a co- common sight. So always amazing when you see it here. Uh, and we wild camped next to a loch called uh, Loch Morlick. And, oh, man, it was just pretty spectacular. Like, that was one of the most peaceful places. Everyone was just kind of in a trance almost. Like, <laughs> wow, we're... This is something you don't do every day. It was yeah. just so so peaceful, quite idyllic. Uh, lots of ducks, so many ducks, just walking around when we were camping. They were cute. Uh, nice. And just being able to camp like, you know, a few meters away from the lot and you wake up and wow, it's just, uh, it's like opening up and you've got this postcard in front of you, you know? Yeah, it that, sounds that like was, there's lots, of, lots of nice things to see in the UK. I mean, they're there. You just have to go find yeah, them. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Oh, they're splendid. Like, I'd never seen too much. I've been in the UK for 15 years. But when I was a kid and lived here with my parents, we'd always go back to France for holidays or, or to warmer places, really. So we didn't explore the UK that much. So for me, this was kind of an opportunity to see way more than mm-hmm. I ever had. And yeah, man, there's just so... So much and Lucas as well. Yeah, you can say Lucas, like you haven't yeah. seen that much as well. Yeah, that's kind of what I was saying earlier as well. It's like there's so many, you know, so many stunning places that are actually kind of like really nice for, for what you'd kind of expect for England or, or the UK. Um, and then actually having the chance to be in them and like see them um, was, was really cool. Um, yeah, so a, a lot nicer place than I at least thought it was. So. Nice. And what was the terrain like? I know Scotland is known for having some pretty wild uh, terrain. I think you said, you mentioned that's probably where you did most of your mountain biking. Yeah. Yeah. It's real wild. It's um, really remote. You can get really lost really, really, really quickly as well. So you come out of a town, you cycle for about 10 minutes down a cycleway. Then you take a gravel track, you cycle for half an hour and that's it. You just literally just hear nothing, see nothing. It's, It's you can really get lost really quickly. It's quite Scotland's quite big in in, in nature in nature, um, more so than people think. Um, and we really enjoyed just going on the gravel tracks and uh, just kind of detouring a lot as well. Sometimes we'll just see some stuff and be like, "Hey, that looks cool. Let's go there." Or we even went like through these little cool little forests. And um, when I say little, because they're little compared to yours, yeah. but for us, they're massive. And they were, they had red fern trees and you'd just be cycling down these gravel tracks in these massive trees, oh, nice. much bigger than any other place in the UK, the yeah. biggest trees I've ever seen. Um, it was, it was amazing. It really was amazing. And it's the smell, you know, the smell and the fresh air, the, the freshness. S- yeah. Yeah. You can't beat it. 
did you guys ever have any issues with uh, within the group, like conflict and stuff? You know, I can imagine that when there's five of you, it's bound to happen at times that people get annoyed with each other and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> any good stories? <laughs> oh, that's that's uh, unfair if uh, the others aren't there to defend themselves. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I guess we have to attack each other here, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I would say if you want a group, bring earplugs. Um, earplugs just the best thing ever because uh, some some of the guys snore pretty loudly, so yeah. you know <laughs> and the nights people, are already pretty short. <laughs> yeah, some people talk for ages as well. So uh, also <laughs> double double use. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I once interviewed two. Fr- I once interviewed two French guys that rode a tandem bike um, from France to Asia, and uh, oh they said that, yeah, they got tired. Like the, he said, I just got tired of staring at his ass. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Did they not like switch the position every day or something? No, because the one guy, anyways, uh, long story short, the one guy had um, severe arthritis and couldn't pedal oh. anymore, so he was using a he was using a hand pedal. Like he was on uh-huh. the recumbent section of the front bike and using a hand and, uh, and uh-huh. then they were sharing a tent and like, he's like, yeah, just oh, too, too well. close for comfort. Right. Like, oh. After yeah. six months or a yeah. year or whatever it was. Yeah. The only thing I can think of that would make that better is strapping an iPad to the back of him and watching films. Oh yeah. There you go. <laughs> that's like one thing. Unfortunately, the happen. guy at the back is the one that steers, I think usually too. So oh, yeah. right. Yeah. So he needs to see. Yeah. yeah I, I, I mean, sometimes wonder yeah. if it's easier to cycle tour with friends or family, you know, which one is, which one's more difficult because family, I think you're, <laughs> or loved ones, you're, you're more forgiving to, you might get annoyed, but like friends. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say. Right. Yeah. And another aspect of the trip that made it quite difficult was that we were meeting loads of people all the time. So it, it, it was just, there was not much headspace. So things built up. So as the beginning, the beginning few days, everyone was like super chirping or chatting all the time and stuff like that. And then as you got down through the country, the amount of conversations that we were having mm-hmm. and the le- like the lack of free time for headspace and just chilling and not having to talk and not having to do interviews and things like that, 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 that got, that took its toll. So towards the end, we, there was a bit of irritability amongst the team just yeah. because we just were exhausted from talking so much. So actually, we ended up cycling quite a lot in silence at times, which was quite peaceful at times. And we, we enjoyed it, mm-hmm. just having that break. Any uh, any major mechanical issues? I think you mentioned that you <laughs> all kind of became experts at fixing your bikes. So Yeah, yeah, yeah Isaac's got a great one. <laughs> I don't know if he wants to tell the story, though. Lucas has a funnier way of saying it. But. Yeah, Luke, Lucas got a great, great way of saying it. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, it, it was, um, we were cycling up, uh, was it Kirkstone Pass? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was the biggest and, pass of the trip, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah the yeah. biggest pass of the trip. And um, uh, Isaac obviously shot off to the top super speedy up the up the hills and i was just behind him slugging along and he's at the top kind of like cheering away as uh, just like in the wales trip with his bike over his head um <laughs> and then he's like he just keeps walking and uh, uh, you know i thought like what's <laughs> i'm not sure what's going on here um and as i get close to him he's like carrying his bike and i thought you know like why <laughs> you can roll <laughs> your bike up the mountain <laughs> it's got wheels that's and um and as I got closer to him, I realized like his his bike was broken, and still I was like, "You just bloody roll your bike up, like you don't have to, you don't have to carry it up." And as we got to the top and I passed him, I re- like his rear derailleur had basically wrapped itself around the cassette. Okay, so the wheel was completely <laughs> like just completely completely seized in place. There was not, you know, 
you couldn't turn the wheel. Um, so uh, we were all, yeah, we were all a bit surprised. I, I don't know how he managed it, but, but yeah, he, he did. He did have to carry his bike up the mountains, so uh, it was quite entertaining for us all. Was it fixable? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was the the cause of the issue was during Scotland. I I presume the mountain bike terrain destroyed the hanger mm-hmm. of my bike, and my hanger holds that rear derailleur in yep, place, yep. And, and it sort of bent it into my wheel. So then, when I was on like kind of highest tension, like pushing up the hills, that that um, rear derailleur is like on a certain gear and it's quite tucked in, yeah. and it just got wrapped in and just like that was it. It was wow. like, bad. So we took it for a bike fix. Uh, they actually managed to salvage um, the the hanger and fix it uh, up a bit. I got a new derailleur and uh, that that was okay. I, I switched my bike. I had I got my old, uh, older bike uh, out to uh, to ride and then put the gravel one away. So oh, was, wow. that's so it's quite nice sometimes to have that sort of support team uh, there, so we could just keep moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, that would have been like a big game changer for that day, and we would have to have all stopped and. We would yep. have been behind schedule, missed interviews, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. So I got my bike fixed in the end. And then when I did get my bike fixed, they looked over everyone's bikes and they said everyone's bikes had been shot. And that was from Scotland. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they were fixing all of our bikes. <laughs> and uh, let's talk about packing stuff. Um, was there anything you packed that you wish you would have just left at home that in the end you're like, oh, I just carried this for two weeks for nothing? Oh yeah, loads of stuff like that. Um, we just left it with the crew. Uh, yeah, we we did in the end. Left, we were able to leave it with the crew. But if we had to have carried that the whole way, it would have been an absolute nightmare. But um, we uh, we had a ton of water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I had two hundred liters of waters from sponsorship, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we like carrying all of that all the time would have been a nightmare. Oh, like loads and loads of liters of water. So we we left a lot of that with the crew. Um, we got through and, all of those, so that was a great sponsorship. Yeah we, yeah, we did get through it, but we had a lot of sponsorship that we got our eco products, and they gave us quite a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, one one thing that we remember was the Nick Wax as well. Uh, we got Nick Wax. We didn't need that much Nick Wax, um, so we we used it a lot on our on our kit. Um, we just took one bottle with us, but we probably didn't need um, because our kit was pretty good in the end after using yeah. it before. But yeah, there was there was a few things like um, there were some snacks that people weren't agreeing with, and they didn't like. So we carried those; we didn't need them, um, and that that's just extra weight. So kind of any advice is just make sure you're eating what you would eat. Yeah, in, snacks are really hard because sometimes yeah. even what you might eat at home, and you're on a bike, and your your body just yeah. reacts differently. You look at this, and you're like, I don't freaking want to eat that. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to eat think, this right now. Yeah, yeah so make, make sure di- you know. Yeah, the diversity of like food as well. You know, after like you're eating a lot of calories, and after even just two days of eating ten Cliff bars or, yeah. or whatever every day, it, it gets it, no matter how nice the food is, it gets boring very quick. Um, to bring loads of different types of stuff, and I think to be fair, we had we had quite a lot of different stuff with us, um, but just not enough for the amount that we were eating. Mm-hmm. And test it all. Do like do longer trips for a weekend or something, yes. and test test that food. Good like point. be in that really critical state. You've just cycled for half a day up a hill, and you're absolutely shattered. And then try and eat those those foods that you got, and see which one you actually like at that time. Because when at that time you have a different mindset of when you're just starting the day or you're finishing the mm-hmm. day, like when you're in that like I need to stuff my face with something good, 
you have you really think differently so usually it's salty foods really like people crave a lot of salt um, mm-hmm. electrolytes that was another thing actually electrolytes um i don't think we took enough actually of electrolytes to be honest i think we could have done with a few more electrolytes um what else did we take that maybe was unnecessary um probably like spares of everything mm-hmm. so we we tried to get spares of every single part of our bike so that if anything went wrong we could fix it but then you're carrying all your spares yeah so maybe like we would have done better just mapping out all of the bike place fixes letting them know we're coming and we might have to pop in or something mm-hmm. yeah um, I, think, I think we were a, a bit in the mindset similar to like the row where you know you need to have you need to have everything otherwise you know there's no one to give you any spare bits out in at sea but obviously on land you had yeah you know bike shops you had a support crew that you could that's send right. somewhere to get bits and stuff um but yeah yeah but i think that's just a typical like bike touring uh early mistake you know i think everybody (laughs) carries stuff they don't need and then finally they get rid of it or they send it home or they throw it out or they give it away or you know and Mm. just too much and spare parts tends to be one of those uh every time you get lighter don't you You just get lighter and lighter every time you go was there was there anything you um you left at home but wish you would have had my teddy bear my my bed yeah (laughs) (laughs) bed that's a, it's a good question actually um, a warm shower and clean towels yeah. <laughs> clean clothes <laughs> yeah I don't know <laughs> item wise I think we were because we had so so long to prepare because the COVID delayed our trip so many times mm-hmm. we were just so we were very prepared for this so I, I think we were right I, I can't think of anything that we really regretted yeah, uh, essentials i don't think we had uh, i don't think we were missing anything it was more like luxuries or comforts and stuff that obviously we didn't take with us yeah but yeah i think we had all the essential bits we needed cool reaching land's end um i mean i guess that that feeling that the end is close what was that like i mean uh just yeah to well hit that's the, the, that's the, the right south of UK. yeah the, the end was close it wasn't the end which for a lot of people land's end is the end of the trip um, so the atmosphere there, there's a lot of people who end there rather than start there because it's nicer weather than up in Scotland, right? Ah, so okay. if you're done, it's just, a, yeah, and it, it, a lot, obviously a lot more people live in England than live in Scotland in the UK. So you tend to start far away and then go closer to home. Um, a lot of people, it's the end of their trip. So there's not the same atmosphere. It's a lot more subdued, I guess. Um, it's like, oh, it's done now. So you get people celebrating and then it's like, okay, it just dies down. Um, for us, it was like, wow, okay, we've just done one of the, you know, the most famous kind of cycles in the world, juggle, and now we're going to add like, oh, why not add a whole day of water biking on top? So it was kind of like, okay, we need to rest. Like <laughs> we need to eat a lot and then have yeah. really good sleep. So we still had to stay in that discipline phase. And it was quite funny because uh, a couple of guys had just done juggle and they finished like a few minutes after us. You know, took took a picture with the, the with the sign, and we chatted to them, and then you know they just started smoking cigarettes, and they're like, "Yo, guys, do you want to come um, down to the pub, grab some, some pints, beers, yeah. and then we'll go on a night out?" And we're like, "No, <laughs> sorry, guys, we're not done." And they they were like, "What do you mean you're not done? It's Land's End. It's literally in the name. <laughs> like, where are you going?" <laughs> so we're like, "Have you guys seen water bikes before?" And they said, "No. Well, <laughs> what are you smoking? Like, you're not even smoking. How are you saying these things?" And we, we showed them the picture and, the, and you know, videos from the one we did up in Scotland and their minds just exploded. Yeah. These two young guys. 
they thought, wow, you guys are absolutely nuts. Best of luck, but we're, we're going to go have some beers now. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll follow you guys on social media. That's um, wild. See if you make it. And I think that this this next section of water biking was a lot bigger than the first one, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. about, what, five times bigger? 50, 53K, 50, something like wow. that. Yeah. okay. A whole different ball game, yeah. I mean, every variable, apart from the maybe the whirlpools and the eddies, there's more of them in the pudding first, but everything else was just harder to deal with. So it was longer. The weather was hotter. There was a lot more sun exposure. Uh, there was, you know, it was an actual shipping channel, Okay. Uh, you know, with big cargo ships, you know, they go from France and then go across the channel, go to the East Irish sea. Okay. Um, so you got to deal with that. There's actually like, you know, we had to be on a, our boat, other, the guys guiding us, um, on a rib, they had to, you know, submit like a application to just say that we're going to be crossing at these times. So, you know, we appear on the radar and, and the schedules for the, for the boats crossing. Um, just uh yeah just just more to deal with right it's longer you need a lot more water you need mm-hmm. more food we we didn't have the support crew we had lucy's uh girlfriend with our support crew on the boat which was really lovely of her so big shout out to, to lucy but uh it was completely different disposition um and i'll let the guys talk because i can talk about the crossing all, all day all night but uh <laughs> they should have they should share how it was for them as well but just yeah completely whole different experience really than the one up north for sure yeah, there was a moment that uh, Alex really liked um, on his particular shift when he was on the water. Yeah. Uh, dolphin, dolphins joined and they were swimming and oh, saying, wow. like, you're nearly there. Come on, guys, you're nearly there. Uh, yeah, was, I don't know if they were actually saying that, but uh, it was uh, it was really fun um, experience because it was just, we we knew that the conditions were good. But there, again, in, in, in tidal days, six hours, the tide changes. Yeah. So our... I expected to finish was going to be eight hours so the tide could have changed very unfavorably right towards the hours of city and we might have had a dramatic not finishing yeah um so we, yeah we were pretty lucky the weather conditions were again stunning before so did, did I, the um, tides not go every day there then is it not always the case well we, it, no well he, i'll give you some the, the sailors and stuff we spoke to they said you have a 20 percent chance of pulling this off they okay. honestly were just like laughing at me when i was talking to them for advice they said, no, water bike, no. Like, it was just straight no. And th- that was because it is re- like, massive tides, big seas. Yeah. Uh, but those particular two points that we chose were on the neap tide, the lowest point you could ever get um, in terms of tide. And okay. also, they were perfect, sunny, almost breezeless days. Okay. But it was just, it was just, you talk about fairy tales. I don't, I don't think this could be repeated very well, basically. It just was like luck of the draw. So much luck. Unbelievable okay. luck. Um, but yeah, the uh, the water bike crossing, my overall feeling of it was, Jesus, I'm so glad that this cycling game is over because that was a it was a hard day. It was hot. Even in you're shifts, mo- yeah. Yeah, you're not moving fast. And um, the islands, you could see them really early and it just took ages to get there. <laughs> Uh, but knowing that obviously the end is near, it, it gave you a lot of motivation. But yeah, it was it was hard. It's a hard slog to do after doing a whole joggle. Is going on these water bikes that are much more difficult to ride and riding yeah. those ages in really big heat. So it was. Uh, yeah, I was pretty glad that we got to the end uh, at that point. I was like, I'm I'm to- I'm toast now. So Isaac, as uh, somebody who's actually swam the English Channel, like, do you think this is something that a person could water bike on their own? I mean, with a safety boat. 
Uh, yeah, I think yeah. I think it's possible to do the English Channel on a water bike. Um, I think oh, I, maybe I know, someone I know this, uh, the silly islands, the Isle of Silly. Oh, the Isles of Silly, um, swimming or on the water on bike. On a water bike, solo. Oh, solo on a water bike. I think it's possible, but it would be like definitely a smart to not do anything beforehand. Yeah, just do that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, don't cycle across but, country. There's there's listening. people actually who have swam it. Okay. So they swam for 21 hours and I spoke to a couple of the swimmers to get you know tips and ideas and they they basically said you need to go on the right time but it's just it's literally luck of the draw. Yeah. Your day might be good, it might be bad. If it was bad, that's it. You call it quits. Yeah. What was it like to uh to reach that to to reach uh, the aisles and uh get off those water bikes? Yeah, coming around the headland, you could start <laughs> hearing the the, uh, the crowd cheering cuz it was like it was all scheduled. You know, we were going to mm-hmm. come in at this time. We phoned up and said, like, we're near or whatever. Or they're tracking us. We were on the live tracker, actually. It's a 060 tracking app thing. Uh, people could see us coming in. There was actually a plane that flew over and spotted us from the plane. I did, like, this Facebook post or whatever saying, what's going on here? Oh, wow. Um, that drove a lot of attention. Like, what are these things on the, on the water down there? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was really nice coming around the headlands. Alex and I were just like, yeah, I needed that sort of thing. And, uh, and you raced. Lucas, Lucas loves saying this bit when we got All around. Right, he, yeah. was, he started earlier. Let's go, Lucas. You can finish your story. So, yeah, to, to, to continue from uh, from the start of it before. Yeah, so we were basically, we were, you know, we'd just been cycling for what, eight hours or something and um, came around the corner of the island. We see the beach. Everyone starts cheering. We're all ready to, like, celebrate. And then both water bikes get their propellers um, out, like completely tangled in seaweed. Um, <laughs> and we were, myself, Sal, and the other Alex were on the safety boat and we were going to, you know, jump in and swim to shore. And we ended up having to swim to the water bikes instead and push the water bikes in because the, <laughs> they just couldn't, <laughs> they were just completely stuck. Um, and it was a bit, it was a bit like a bit of an awkward finish because everyone started cheering, thinking we'd be there in a few seconds. And the water was quite cold. I was definitely cold. And, you know, you couldn't, couldn't swim as fast as water bike. Um, so everyone started cheering. Then it got tangled and everyone was like, okay, we'll wait till they start going back again. And then everyone started cheering again. And then it's like, okay, they're still not here yet. We'll just wait a bit longer. <laughs> then started cheering. And it was like that for five, 10 minutes until we, we eventually swimmed the bikes into, into land. Um, so was, yeah, it didn't quite go as bad, but uh, we, we did have a very good celebration and we popped a bottle of champagne at the finish oh, as nice. well and, and had a good time. So. It was it was good, but just not quite as we uh, thought it would pan out. Alex and I did this 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 thing the cyclists do, isn't it? They uh, they pick up the water from the start and then they pour it at the end. Oh, okay. I don't yeah. know if you know about that. Don't know about it. No, I know that's, about dipping a like tire, a, but that's about it. Yeah. Like a coast to coast tradition. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Okay. We 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 took water from Orkney, carried it all the way, and then t- tipped it out at uh, I was a silly. Not sure why we did that, but it's something that everyone does. Fair enough. Well, I saw it. I saw it in the cycling film before a few times. So. <laughs> I took, oh, I took that, water, that water stunk as well. That water reeked. It'd been in a bottle for two weeks. Ah, it's disgusting. Absolutely <laughs> awful smell. <laughs> we were, we were, we had to like label the bottle. Do not drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Put some skull and bones. And uh, <laughs> so after you guys hit the Isle of Silly, did you guys go back to Lands End after that? Or was that like straight home from there? We stayed yeah. for a holiday. Oh, you did? Okay, that, nice. Yeah, it, yeah, it was nice. Like it's a bit, it's a bit like the Caribbean. That's why one of the reasons why it was nice to finish there. 
it's uh it's known to be the english uh, caribbean it's okay. just beautiful the beaches are amazing and stunning and they have uh different fa- uh, fauna and flora than you would have in the uk uh the the, the plants are massive ferns and trees like the okay. things that you wouldn't usually see so yeah it was just quite a nice little place to chill relax recoup have some beers yeah yeah have some oh yeah Lots had of a few beers. um yeah had, especially had many, that young actually. one there <laughs> oh yeah lucas yeah yeah he would drink everyone under the table that one <laughs> yeah um, it was really really good <laughs> so when's the documentary coming out uh next month um uh, online or we've got a film premiere that's it in person okay. for our sponsors family friends and things that's in mayfair in london actually anyone listening to this podcast if if they uh listen to it before the you know the 28th of october and you happen to be in london uh we've got um thursday the 28th of october between 7 p.m and 9 p.m we have a film premiere in Mayfair in a hotel called the Courthouse Hotel. There's tickets on our website um, that you can get. Oh, and cool. it, it's going to be our first ever showing of the film. And we're going to have a Q&A. There's a free drink voucher. You can get a, there's a donation into National Parks UK as well uh, in your ticket. And it's just going to be an all around nice like festivity sort of uh, event. And then we've got an online premiere, which anyone around the world can, can uh, tune into. And that's a 24 hour showing. And that's on the 24th of November. And it will be in partnership with a company called Adventure Uncovered and Pause.tv. So Pause.tv is a streaming service. Okay. So yeah, we're going to show it on there. And then we're going to show the film at film festivals around the UK, perhaps even internationally if it does well. That's the ambition anyway. Banff cool. would be an amazing one yeah, to get into. Yeah, that would be amazing. We would love to be there. Um, maybe we can uh, link up actually if we do get there. And um, well, yeah, we've got also ambitions for it to be uh, on the streaming service. Um, so like Amazon Prime, yeah. Netflix as well. It looks like we're probably going to get it on Amazon Prime, which is which is really like good to finish on. So we we'll do the touring and then put it on mm-hmm. the streamer so that it can always be be, be viewed. Very nice. Ah, yeah. There's and we yeah between Alex, I, and uh, Lucas, we've got lots of uh, ambitions and plans for the project as well. Uh, All right. f- beyond just the short film that we're making do you guys do, are you planning any talks uh, like environmental awareness talks and stuff throughout the uk or things like that as well or yeah yeah, yeah. um alex's uh, company's our first environmental focused workshop talk uh, you, yeah if you want to talk about it, alex yeah we, we we've got three different kind of uh, talks we we propose so uh, environmental talk is is one of the three one of the big ones and we know we're reaching out to companies to try and help them improve their eco credentials and just distill some loads of the knowledge we've got from all the organizations we reached out to and we interviewed during the cycle uh, and even in the process before there's loads we spoke to as well who weren't available for interview but who still mm-hmm. shared many things with us uh oh, we've learned so much about how to make your business more sustainable how it all comes down to really to a change of mindset so we want to go into companies and help help them as well do brainstorming okay. just get the employees a bit excited i think because we've got the adventure in the background as well it brings it more to life as well we can share that too and it's not just a dry topic or like a you know like a tick box exercise oh we have to do this make this certification it makes it a lot more exciting to talk about when we can back it up with you know we've been in nature this is what you'll be preserving um so so that's yeah we've got a few of those We've got nice. one plan to the company where I work, so they've been great. They're, they're down for us doing that. Uh, and then we've uh, given a few talks already. Um, we've given 
one in person just to a sponsor a fundraiser they did yeah and then we've got a few uh, online ones as well they're still it's still a mix of between physical like in person and that's still right. a lot of virtual talks at the moment so yeah the most the most, biggest one we've done so far was with the royal geographical society in the oh, uk oh nice that's amazing so that was yeah yeah that was a big honor to to talk for them because they've had you know all kinds of huge adventures people like kind of a bear grills there so yeah. that was really really amazing to be to be on that platform um and then we just you know it just spreads out we keep uh keep keep reaching out keep the conversations going uh we're still learning all the time i mean this and this is like a kind of a hobby like a passion project kind of yeah. thing so you know it's not like i do this all day every day so there's always so much to, to learn you know 5 p.m work ends <laughs> isaac what did you learn today like oh lucas check this out what, what's going on so mm-hmm. um yeah just just keep the learning and keep keep the actions going. So in the aftermath of this uh, this adventure, this challenge, are are all five team members still involved with the uh, with with the ongoings of the everything? Uh, it's been quite difficult and challenging because certain people in the team had a lot more going on in their usual lives, personal lives, yeah, uh, yeah, personal lives. So they can't be at everything. Um, us three um, seem to have the, the most time for this project at the moment. Uh, the other two, not so much. Um, they're, they're off doing incredible things elsewhere. Um, but they, they've really, you know, they've brought their impact to this project. And, like, we're really appreciative. And, you know, mm-hmm. we've had a really good good, good spell. And uh, us three, we, we, we're, just, we're just pushing it out um, more, more for the future of what we want to do with the project. Um, we, we have ideas to turn it into a community interest company. And then really start making a bit more of a speaking uh, presence in the UK. Okay. Um, and things and things like that. Uh, maybe a new film with, with in a different area, perhaps with different climate solutions, mm-hmm. different type of adventure stuff like this is. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's being talked about. Um, it might not necessarily be everybody in a team. Some people came on this expedition thinking, yeah. "I'm just going to join this expedition for one, just the expedition." Yeah, yeah. Some then, you might have some new that, people. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, things like that too. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So I was about to ask you what's next. Um, so you guys do have some plans in the works. Uh, any little micro adventures planned in the meantime? Alex, you're going to get out biking. I've got one. Uh, I've got one next weekend uh, with Adventure and Covered, actually. The kind of adventure platform we're partnered with and a few other like uh, big like adventure platforms in the yeah. UK. They're doing this big ride to, to COP26, the United Nations conference. So. Huh. They're doing that over seven days. I'm just joining for a for a day because I've taken quite a lot of annual leave already on this project. So yeah. you know, I've got to I've got to meet the demands of my real work work as well <laughs> to keep to keep uh, to keep my career going too. But uh, that that'll be a wicked opportunity. That's just quite a short ride, London to Oxford. Um, so you know, I'm, that's probably going to be five six hours, I guess. Uh, but a good opportunity to meet a lot of other people in a similar space. Yeah, nice. Uh, and then. Well, us three together, uh, I'm sure there'll be there'll be something. We've been working quite hard on the film, so it's been quite hard to find time for for more than weekend adventures. Yeah. Actually, in the past few months, like there's a lot to go. <laughs> it's our first film, and we found out there's it's a lot. Of have work. you guys self-produced, or have you had people involved with the production? Yeah, yeah, we have people involved. We've got a film production team. Okay, we've got a soundtrack team. Um, we we just finished the voiceover today. Uh, yeah, it's been yeah, it's been quite a journey. Um, a lot of learning and there's a lot of there's a lot of stakeholders in this project mm-hmm. um, it's been incredible so we had uh, over 50 sponsors uh, 50 different brands that is 
we've had tons of endorsers um who like endorse what we're doing yeah we've got we had a support team of about 15 oh wow um, overall, yeah. yeah 15 for various different things we had a, like personal training and all sorts of people who helped in their own way and it's made it made a good impact for us uh, yeah it's been a huge project in terms of personnel um and the film yeah i understand why there's massive massive teams for films now yeah completely get that <laughs> yeah. I, I i always thought like why is there like this credit list that just keeps going on and on uh, why is this credit list so big now you now i know why <laughs> <laughs> and uh where can people learn more about pedal for parks yeah, our website is the is the best place to go. So um, www.pedalforparks.co.uk. Um, and then we're all we're on all the socials. So yeah. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, uh, just pedal four. So it's pedal and then the number four parks. And our handle is at pedal for parks, all one word okay. for most social media. Yeah, so it's quite easy to find us. Um, just yeah, shoot some messages, questions, whatever are we you know we love chatting to to like-minded people as well you know what we could work or collaborate yep. things like this beautiful anything i missed that you guys would like to share i'm sure it's gotta be something <laughs> oh yeah i mean there's there's always a lot to 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 add but um we'd just like to say thank you because this has been like a great uh podcast so chris oh, really thanks. really awesome podcast yeah. really enjoyed Appreciate it you guys coming yeah, on very good it's uh it's been fun and um so yeah, we'll 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 end it there. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on the show. You don't have to hang up after though. Um, I'll just end it. <laughs> but uh, we'll catch. I'm sure we'll be in touch. So uh, yeah, thank you, and keep on pedaling. Thank you very much, Chris. Cheers. Yeah. yeah, keep riding, everyone. My pleasure, guys. <laughs> Before ending the show, I'd like to thank my newest supporters for contributing to the show and helping it to keep going. Stephen Crofton, thank you so much for the PayPal. And Nima Khalhali, past guest, past cycling friend, current cycling friend, still a cycling friend. Thank you for signing up as a Patreon and to help the show grow. I'd also like to thank all the listeners once again for the emails and comments I received from you. It really helps me to mo- it helps to motivate me and keep me going on this project. So thank you for that. Also, if you have any comments or questions, please reach out to me at chris at biketouradventures.com. If you're enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become a supporter by going to patreon.com slash bike tour adventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal at paypal.me slash bike tour adventures. This money all goes back in the podcast, allowing me to pay for all the associated annual fees, which do add up, uh, purchase better quality equipment and create better quality content. Thanks again. So much appreciated and keep on pedaling. Bye-bye.